Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 572 with Chris Bailey. We've had Chris on the show before because he is a boatload of fun. He is a productivity thought leader, which was a recurring joke in this episode. It's just, it's fun to call him that because he doesn't like it. Who has some pro tips on how investing in your calm and savoring can make a world of difference in boosting your productivity. So you'll learn one, how calm provides the greatest return on productivity. Two, why you shouldn't feel guilty over being less productive right now, and three, how and why to savor. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you can expand your episode notes or description in your current podcast app player. If they're not quite clickable, which happens sometimes, bummer, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP572, and you can click those resources all the more readily. Now here's Chris's story. Chris Bailey is a productivity expert and, dare I say, thought leader and the international best-selling author of Hyperfocus and The Productivity Project, which have been published in 17 languages. Chris writes about productivity at alifeofproductivity.com and speaks to organizations around the globe on how they can become more productive without hating the process. To date, he has written hundreds of articles on the subject of productivity and has garnered coverage in media as diverse as The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, The Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review, GQ, Ted, Fortune, Fast Company, and Lifehacker. Big thanks to Chris for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Chris. Chris, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You had me back. That's right. It's number three. That's wow. uh, pretty rare. What? Pretty rare. Wow. Third? Really? Did you forget one of them? <laughs> I think I was uh, asleep through one of them and uh, intoxicated. And, no, I'm just kidding. It's good to be back. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. And uh, boy, in the meantime, from my stalking of you, because oh. I wasn't invited, no, not a problem. Uh, I see you got married. <laughs> hey, yeah. Congratulations. You can see the ring in the video. That too. Thank you for the, the congrats. It's fun. It's been fun. Well, so I just imagine that your your wedding was a star-studded event full of productivity giants. Yeah. Uh, which is why I... It was odd that my invitation was wasn't uh, didn't come through the mail. <laughs> you know, my wife and I were pretty cheap and frugal. Frugal, cheap has negative connotations. We're frugal, so we just had like a dinner party as a wedding. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, because we mm -hmm. thought, man, we should put this money towards a house or something rather than than a wedding. Uh, and so that's what we did. It, it's hard to keep wedding costs down. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Because you order the same service the first time you tell them you're having a wedding, the second time you don't. The wedding quote is twice as much. You know, you try oh, to. I noticed that. I yeah. was tempted to see if, like, how can I not lie? It's like we're having a family gathering. Gathering. Yeah. <laughs> families are gathering. Mm-hmm. Two families specifically yeah. <laughs> gathering and combining. <laughs> yeah, you'll pay yeah. a third of the price for that photographer and that photo booth. It turns right. out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, because they know they know this is they can get you. And so, well, you're married, and, and I want to get your your quick take on. So, you're a productivity thought leader. Oh no, please don't say that. <laughs> you lead thoughts. Yeah. Uh, what's it been like? Sort of the the marital adjustment in terms of how does it feel different? Well, you know, Pete, life as a thought leader is challenging during the best of times, let alone when you're trying to introduce thought leadership into a new, oh man, I feel like such a douche right now. But it's, um, I don't know, it's fun, you know, and in a way, nothing has changed, but uh, I guess legally, pretty much everything has changed. We're both pretty productive. I, th- I think the biggest thing that's changed lately is how our routines are integrated into one another. And I think pretty much everybody on the planet has this same situation that they're facing where maybe they work with their loved ones, maybe they're not newlyweds. And so the the work situation is becoming more challenging, perhaps. And we're all trying to find a new normal right now, you know, amidst the, the virus shakeup, the great shutdown, the hibernation, whatever you want to call it. We're all trying to find new routines. So we've settled into a nice routine of working from home around one another. I have my office, which makes things a bit easier for me, but she has her own system of of doing focused work in her desk area. So I don't know. We're having fun. We're dealing with the challenges and, and we're just having a good time. That's excellent. Well, so I caught your name in the the Washington Post. Nice oh. job, thought leader. And I was like, oh yeah, let's get Chris again. Yeah. Because yeah, we're in a new we are in a new world for a while here. And we, we've had a couple people with sort of episodes kind of really particular COVID focus and then just a, a smattering of COVID tidbits in, yeah. in some others. But I want to get your take on all right. So we're in this environment where there's uh, there's a virus raging. There are some restrictions and limitations. Some folks are really gung-ho, like, this is going to be my moment to do this stuff. <laughs> and other people are, are saying, no way. No there's way such enough. a mental load. I'm going to do almost nothing. Yeah. How do you think about this? I think everybody's different. And that's a terrible answer that nobody wants to hear. But the, the fact of the matter is everybody's situation is different during a time like this. And, you know, productivity is so often a process of understanding the constraints inside of which we live and work. And in a situation like this, everybody's constraints are changing overnight. And we all had different ones to begin with. So uh, what we're seeing right now, and it's a word that isn't mentioned enough, but privilege, you know, those of us who have cushier jobs where we're able to work from home, right? we're not experiencing the economic brunt of the crisis that's going on. Something else is kids. Our lives are structured. We don't have kids at the time, but our lives are structured around families and daycares and schools and those kids existing in a system that isn't our home during the day when we're trying to work from home. And so I think a question like this, you know, there there are a lot of posts flying around right now. Oh, make the best of your quarantine time. 
don't gain the quarantine 15, lose the quarantine. How, how to stay productive, how to write the next great American novel whilst in quarantine. These things totally miss the mark. They totally, they don't get the fact that, okay, maybe my situation is different from yours, which is different from the situation of a single working mother with three kids, which is different from the situation of a retiree, somebody who lives in an old age home, whatever. Everybody's situation is different. And so I think we have to, A, realize that we're all operating under different constraints, and B, not feel guilty about how we're spending our time right now. Because the simple truth and the fact of the matter is some of us are struggling and that's okay. You know, it's okay if you find it hard to be productive right now. It's okay if you find it hard to focus. It's okay if caffeine is no longer working for you for some reason. (laughs) It's okay if you feel a bit anxious. These feelings are universal. And we do need coping strategies for this, but we do need to take care of ourselves at the same time. People talk about the importance of self-care in in the normalist of times because it's just a topic that we need to hear and practice, but it's so much more important right now. And so I've kind of, in a way, I think I'm a bit fed up with people giving too much productivity advice right now, saying that we should make the best of this time while they don't recognize the fact that everybody's going through something different right now. And maybe that works for them, but maybe not for everybody else. Yep. Sorry, rant over. Rant well, no, over. That resonates. It, it, it's absolutely true. You know, we've all got a different situation and sometimes it's a more dramatic change for, for some than others. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still working from home in my home office, which is what I was doing before uh, the mm-hmm. pandemic. Although there's, there's different things going on in, in the family kid situation. Yeah. And so maybe that's great a great word right there in terms of it's okay and it's normal to to be experiencing you know those sorts of things so i'd like to know that that's one mistake is is beating yourself up another mistake is providing one size fits all prescriptive advice yeah uh, what are some of the other don'ts or or mistakes you recommend we we avoid as we're trying to stay productive during this time i think trying to push yourself too hard is something that i'm quickly realizing during a time like this because I'm feeling anxious, just like uh, most other people. I have parents who are getting a bit older. I am connected. My wife has asthma. Uh, so she's definitely one of the more vulnerable people in a situation like this. I think something we need to realize right now is that the path to greater productivity during a time like this is through calm, right? By investing in our calm, we're able to invest in our sense of productivity at the same time. And the reason for this is our minds are so anxious. They're so revved up. Mine is anxious just like everybody else's. And in a time like this, when there's so much chaos flying around us in our mental and our physical environments, it's often a settled mind that we need more than almost anything else. So the path of productivity is through the lens of calm. And so if there's another mistake that we're making, A, we're not being kind enough to ourselves, B, we're trying too hard to be productive, but C, we're not investing enough in calm. Uh, and, and there are multiple ways of doing this. One of my favorite that, that I've started to do each and every morning is investing in the analog world. When we're spending our days inside, we tend to gravitate towards screens. We tend to gravitate to what's latest and loudest at the expense of 
slowing down a little bit and maybe disconnecting a little bit and being kind to ourselves and being patient with ourselves and doing something slow with our time. So that's something that I think is worth getting across in addition to the self-kindness, in addition to taking it easy with your productivity a little bit. Invest in calm more than you think you ought to, because that's often, that's one of the greatest returns on our productivity. And here's the ruler stick against which we should be measuring our productivity advice today, is for every minute we spend on a piece of productivity advice, how much time does that allow us to make back? And so some things, watching Netflix, for every minute you spend watching Netflix, you probably lose about a minute of productivity because they, that's the opportunity cost of watching that. Maybe you're a bit less motivated after the fact. And so you actually lose more time than you spend. But other strategies like planning out our day is a really good example of this. For every minute you spend planning out your day, you make back five, 10 minutes of productivity because of how much more focused you're able to work. An environment as chaotic as the one in which we're finding ourselves today, calm actually produces a remarkably high return on our time because trying to work with an anxious mind, it's a struggle to focus. It's a struggle to pay attention. It's a struggle to think deeply and do deep work and hyper-focus on what's important each and every day. But it's calm uh, that provides us with the greatest return. So maybe that that trifecta uh, of ideas might help people out. Well, when it comes to investing in calm, I'd love to hear, I guess there's many ways you can do that. Uh, yeah. Let's rattle them off. So you're doing some analog stuff. You're doing some non-screen stuff. What yeah. are these things? I think the analog world is key to spend more time in. And here's the thing. A, a lot of people think calm is a passive thing. Like, oh, I have a few minutes to spare. Let me go on Twitter. Let me check the New York Times. Let me hop on the Washington Post and see what <laughs> thought leaders are saying about this current <laughs> pandemic crisis. But this is our impulse because we gravitate again to what's latest and loudest. But it's not necessarily right. And by the way, we shouldn't beat ourselves up over that. It's a natural impulse to gravitate to what's latest and loudest. But maybe a good way of phrasing this is that we deserve better than we're giving ourselves. We deserve like genuine, true relaxation. We don't deserve Twitter. We deserve more than Twitter. We deserve more than the news. We deserve more than Facebook right now. And, and so uh, a good place to start is realizing that acquiring calm is often an active process. It doesn't just waft over us. You know, we have to go and seek it out and invest a little bit in it. And so I'm kind of an antisocial person. In the best of times, I'm always trying to find excuses not to hang out with people. Oh, you know, I'd love to grab a drink tonight, Pete, but I have to go to bed early and wake <laughs> up early the first thing in the morning. But the truth is, after I spend time with people, I realize, oh, there was nothing to be anxious about. And oh, it took a little bit of energy to get started with a tactic like that. But I was all the more calm for it. And I think this is something we need to keep in mind right now is it's often through actively investing in relaxation strategies that we get the most calm. And so anything that allows us to reconnect with the fact that we're human is a wonderful wellspring of calm. So meditation, you know, just focusing on our breath, it's a simple reminder that we're human but it's a beautiful one. Exercise, something we're probably not getting enough of if we're in a situation where we can step back a little bit from 
the current situation and, and invest in that. Eating good food, proper food that our bodies evolved to thrive in, not processed stuff that actually elevates our cortisol levels, which is the hormone that our body produces in response to stressful situations. So simple things like that, finding something to savor each and every day. So I'm drinking a protein shake right mm -hmm. now, as you can see, Pete. You're savoring it. Savoring <laughs> the hell out of this thing because it's this delicious concoction, Vega protein shakes. Not only are they vegan, if you're into that, but they also only have one gram of sugar, yet they're chocolate flavor. They contain a lot of coca. So I, I like to, uh, to savor that, but find one thing to savor each and every day. It's an active process. And you think, man, why don't I just savor stuff? Why do I have to make a task, a job out of it? But the truth is you'll get so much more out of what you're savoring when you make a deliberate effort to do so. No cheeseburger will be as delicious as the one you focus on with 100% of your attention because you're trying to savor the heck out of it. No protein shake will be as delicious mm -hmm. and, and energizing. No conversation will be as engrossing as the one you're in completely. And so this is something that we need to find is engagement is a salve for anxiety. And so when we find things to be engaged with, not only do we become more productive, we also find calm. We also are able to settle down a little bit, become a bit happier, and enjoy the process of doing things. One other thing that, that I'll mention at the risk of going too long on this answer, but I think it'll be helpful for people, is we walk around so often with a productivity mindset. And so what I mean by this is we're always looking to tick boxes. We're always looking to get things done. And we never really let up with this mindset. So when we find ourselves with a bit of time during which we can relax, instead of doing something that is genuinely relaxing, we try to we realize, oh, we have just a few minutes of time, let's veg out, when really intentional relaxation is what we need, during which we set aside this productivity mindset when we're trying to accomplish things. And when we deliberately set aside this mindset, it abolishes the guilt that we would normally feel that comes along with active relaxation. Uh, so we have this guilt of relaxation that often arises when we do something that allows us to invest in our calm, which is kind of ironic because when calm allows us to become more productive, we shouldn't feel guilty about how we're spending our time, and yet we do. And so do mind this productivity mindset. And the, the saver list and, and the things that I was just mentioning, they do help combat this certain mindset because instead of trying to tick a box, we try to, to enjoy and experience a moment that we're having. Ooh, there's a lot of good stuff there. You're a real thought leader. <laughs> Sorry. That's like a loaded suitcase that now you have to unpack. Well, no, I, I dig it. Well, so then let's talk about, all right, the process of savoring. Yeah. So, I mean, you could savor a conversation, you could savor uh, a glass of wine or mm. chocolate protein shake, mm. Mm -hmm. uh, a song, music, a sensation, a massage. What song are you savoring right now? That's a fine question. You know, I've actually been saving just some sort of like nostalgic, silly songs that make yeah. remind me of, of happy times and laughter <laughs> and friendship. Yeah. So it, it might be like Death Cab for Cutie, The Sound of Settling, for example. Oh, that's a classic tune. That brings me back to college and my roommate and just like being silly. And it's like, oh, yeah, those, those are fun times. <laughs> yeah. So how does one savor? Hmm. Well, what's something in your life that you enjoy? I enjoy hanging out with my kids. Yeah. So how do you savor something like that? You bring your full attention to it. That's it. 
You know, we savor things automatically when we bring our full attention to them. And also when we notice what's good about the things that we're paying attention to. And so (laughs) this might sound like the corniest thing in the world, but it actually does work. You know, savoring things and gratitude trains our mind into looking for more opportunities that surround us. So I like savoring my morning cup of tea. And so I I have a whole tea process. I'm a fan of oolong tea. And so I have a fancy kettle where I can make the perfect temperature for oolong. It's kind of like a green tea. By the way, the reason people don't like green tea is not that green tea tastes bad. Everybody says, oh, green tea tastes so bitter. The reason green tea tastes bitter is you're burning it. Mm. Green tea is meant to be steeped at around, uh, I think it's 80 degrees Celsius, boiling water around 100. So that's step zero, get the tea Mm -hmm. at the right temperature. But in the morning, I just sit, I have a hanging chair in my living room that I got from Wayfair, and it kind of swings back and forth. And I've usually just woken up. So I wake up, I walk over to the kettle, I steep myself a nice cup of tea, and then I bring it over to the hanging chair, and I just simply try to enjoy the taste of it. And not to spill it on yourself in, in a hanging yeah. chair. <laughs> try not to sway too much or bump into something in my tired stupor. But, you know, a bit of swaying never hurt anybody, as, they, as the old saying goes. <laughs> and so I just kind of sway a little bit and enjoy that cup of tea, noticing the flavors. I, I think another key to savoring is to notice as much as you can, because when something's a desirable experience, the more you notice, the more you're able to savor. So notice as much as you can, bring your full attention to something, look for the the things that are worth savoring embedded within an experience. I don't think there is anything in the world that cannot be savored. And that might sound like an odd statement, because there's a lot of negative things in the world, but savoring is all about a mindset. You know, by God, Pete, there are these twisted people that derive pleasure from pain. If we can derive pleasure from pain, we can learn to savor pretty much anything. That's not to say that there aren't genuine challenges. That's not to say that we should be placing a rose-colored glasses over our entire life neglecting reality. But this is to say that no matter the time, no matter the circumstance, we can always find something to enjoy deeply, even. You know, I buy it. I was just thinking earlier about finding joy and that I'm going to be proactively seeking it out and noting it and celebrating it and expressing gratitude for it. So that aligns much to what I'm I'm thinking. Yeah. And something that people can do right away, make a list of everything you savor. And you don't need to like think into the future. Look into your past. What experiences have you had that have enveloped you completely that you found just really enjoyable? Was it a conversation with a certain friend that always seems to draw you in? Was it a cup of tea? Was it a favorite sushi meal from a place that you frequent? You know, make a list of everything that you savor. Every day, pick one. You know, treat yourself. And by savoring things deliberately, it's a nice way of finding calm. You don't even need to do anything hard with this strategy. You don't need to focus on your breath for half an hour on a meditation cushion, by God, for God's sake. You just have to do something you enjoy and bring your full attention to it completely. Do it a bit slower so it goes on for longer. It's nice. It's just a nice thing. Oh, well, so I think that's a great practice to do daily and, and always. I'd love to hear if you were to zoom in to the moment in which, all right, some stuff needs to get done pretty soon and we're not feeling it. 
Yeah. <laughs> we are not in that groove, but we kind of got to get into that groove kind of fast. <laughs> Savoring yeah. is a good kind of long-term strategy. What do you recommend for, you know, in the here and now, we got to shake off the funk. Yeah. How do you do it? Patience is how you do it. We can become engaged with pretty much anything. That's kind of the point of meditation is you learn to be able to focus on your breath because the idea is the breath is so boring. It's more boring than watching paint dry and our mind actively wanders away from it. And so if we can focus on our breath and become engaged with our breath, we can become engaged with pretty much anything. But we do need to be patient with ourselves as we settle into certain tasks. So if you're working up to something, a big task, say you're writing a report that your mind is finding really aversive, warm up to it. Maybe set a timer for 10 minutes and give yourself the choice to either work on that thing or do nothing. Your mind will settle down naturally and you will be able to warm up to something. So start with that ugly task if you want, but you can also start with smaller tasks ahead of doing that. So you don't need to do that report right away, but maybe just answer a few emails first. Maybe start with something that doesn't require your full attention and warm up to doing that thing. Then also pay attention because anxiety these days is not consistent. Usually it ebbs and flows over the course of the day. And there will be times of your day, for me, it's the morning, although I've gotten better at kind of managing things as the pandemic has worn on. For me, it's the morning though, or at least it was at the beginning, where that was my calmest time of the day. And the anxiety would come later on in the day when I would tune into the press conferences du jour here in Canada. And so I would take advantage of that morning calm by doing the focused work, the hyper-focused work, the deep work that uh, was a struggle much of the rest of the time. And so align the difficulty and complexity of the work you're doing on top of how you're feeling throughout the day. And that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give. Not only lets you become kinder to yourself, but it lets you warm up to more productive tasks. It also lets you get more productive tasks done as you become more patient with yourself. You'll probably need a bit of time for certain tasks, but do take it. Also, know how you start the morning matters more than almost anything else. So distraction begets distraction. Stimulation begets stimulation. So the more stimulated and distracted we become, the more we want to continue with that level of stimulation. So what this means, though, is if you start the morning on a slow note, if you do something that calms you, if you find something to savor, hey, call back to the previous mm-hmm. tactic. Find something to savor first thing in the morning. Play with your kids for half an hour. Set a timer. Whatever you need to do. If you find something to savor first thing instead of just checking the news, you'll find that you'll become calmer automatically and that it'll be easier to focus when you delay the time of first check. Because you know, once you get caught into the rabbit hole, you want to just keep going. But if you start the day on a calm note, your mind won't want to escalate how you're feeling and it'll be easier to find calm in a situation like that. So when you start calm, you stay calm, but do give yourself a bit of time to warm up to certain tasks, overlay the complexity of of work to how you're feeling if you find that how you're feeling fluctuates quite a bit still. All right. Well, Chris, tell me any final thoughts before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. You deserve better than to distract yourself right now. And this is a lesson that it's easy advice to 
give, but it's something that I'm continually relearning. We need to reflect on our behaviors these days more than almost any other day, what emotions they lead us to feel. So we tend to gravitate to apps like, like Instagram and other distractions when we're resisting the, how we're feeling in the present moment. They're almost like an escape hatch in a way. Mind the, the escape hatches of your day and pay attention especially to how you feel after you indulge in them. Because it's sometimes with a bit of extra work that we find tasks that are slightly more challenging. You know, for me, practicing the piano is more challenging than going on Instagram. But the feeling that I have after a session of playing the piano, after a session of knitting, after taking a bath, the feeling after these strategies, when I compare them to Instagram or Twitter or email or YouTube even, they're not even close. They produce more calm. They produce more relaxation. They produce less anxiety. They produce more happiness. Pay attention to how you feel after indulging in the activities that our habits have always been habits to you these days more than any. And now, these days, habits aren't the same as they were before. If you checked up on the news first thing in the morning, usually you weren't depressed the rest of the day. <laughs> but if you find that you stumble upon a couple of, frankly, depressing stories each morning, might be a bad way to start the day. There was one study that was conducted, I believe, by Sean Acor. He's a, an author and a happiness researcher where he exposed participants to just, a, I think, three or four minutes of negative news very first thing in the morning after people woke up. And when he measured participants' levels of happiness uh, six to eight hours later, he found that the group that experienced that negative news was 27% less likely to rate themselves as being happy. Yeah. Wow. What a reminder that the information we consume matters and that we need to mind the quality of it these days more than almost any other. Beautiful. Thank you. And now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, I don't know where this quote came from. I don't think I stumbled upon it myself, just something, a thought of mine. But uh, my favorite quote that I think about a lot is, why do anything if you're not going to do it right? Mm -hmm. I love that. And, uh, you know, it speaks to pride of what we do, of our actions, of our work, of what we say, of how we act towards other and make uh, others and make others feel throughout the day too. All right. And how about a uh, favorite book? Oh, I'd find it funny if I did this. This is the third interview mm -hmm. and I've mentioned three different favorite books. <laughs> oh, we want that. We will actually keep it coming. Yeah. Let's do How Not to Die by Michael mm. Greger. I probably haven't mentioned this before, but it's one that I'm rereading. It's one that I think is worth rereading every few years. And it's about the foods that we need to eat in order to live the longest that are all validated by science. And here's, you know, again, the golden measurement for any productivity tactic. How much time do you get back? By God, this book might save you 10 or 20 years of your life <laughs> by extending it by that much. So I can't think of a better productivity book than that. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool or something you use to be awesome at your job? Well, we just bought a drill. Oh, good choice. For uh, home reno projects. Mm -hmm. But this clicky keyboard, this mechanical keyboard. Oh, I have seen those. I would recommend to almost anyone. This is the, uh, I don't remember the exact model. Oh, it's on the bottom here. The Keychron K2 
wireless mechanical keyboard. It has these beautiful uh, cherry brown switches that are that are like chocolate to write on. And it's beautiful. It's rich. It's, it's just a, a wonderful writing experience. I would equate, if you do a lot of writing throughout the day, have you ever played a piano, Pete, in your life? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. You know those like really crappy keyboard pianos where you press down and there's no weight and you think, oh, I'm just flipping a digital switch somewhere in the system and it's playing a sound through the speakers. Right. That's what a regular keyboard feels like to me after enjoying the experience of a mechanical keyboard. It's like upgrading from one of those crappy keyboards with no weight behind it to a grand piano. You know, it's mm. it's all about the feeling. What you write matters more when you write it on a mechanical keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. And how about a favorite nugget? Oh, man. Probably productivity is the product of our time, attention, and energy. That's one of them. And also, the state of our attention determines the state of our lives. Those are probably the top two. There's probably others. I'll have to look that up. I'm curious. Well, right on. Hey. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, there are a few places. My books are called Hyperfocus and The Productivity Project. I have a podcast now that I do with my mm-hmm. wife called Becoming Better, which we have a blast doing. And uh, my website is called The Life of Productivity. There's no ads, no sponsorships, just hopefully helpful productivity advice and one annoying newsletter pop up. <laughs> and you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs. Notice how different apps make you feel the ones that you spend time on throughout the day. So sometimes we're on Instagram and or Snapchat and we kind of scroll over to the wrong side of the app and we see the selfie camera fire up. And we usually don't have like a, a huge gleeful expression on our face like, oh, I'm on Instagram. What a wonderful time mm-hmm. in my day and in my life. We usually have kind of a, a dull, stimulated look on our face because we're not tuned into how we feel when we're using technology and when we're engaged in certain activities. I would say, mind how you feel when you engage in your digital world this week, today, even to start after listening to this podcast. How do you feel after checking Twitter? How do you feel after checking the New York Times or the Washington Post? Mind that and change your behavior based on that. It's one of the biggest and best tweaks that we can do. Chris, this has been a treat. I wish you all the best in your life of productivity. Thank you. You too. Boy, I really love what Chris had to say about savoring. And I've really been catching myself in terms of I've got a delicious meal or beverage or something. And then I just sort of turn on some media to read or watch or listen to. It's like, hey, how about instead maybe I savor this thing? give my full attention to it. And sure enough, that is rejuvenating in a cool way, which translates into additional productivity. So good stuff from Chris. Thank you, thought leader. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F572. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest, Bill Truby. He has got some pro tips when it comes to delegation, how that can massively increase what you can accomplish without all the frustrations that you might experience when doing so. Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. 
You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.